Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Devon Bailey. Devon, welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, where are you right now? I am sat in a very, very cold Westfield, New Jersey on the east coast of America. Don't be fooled by the accent. I am a Brit, uh, but I live in America. And how long have you been living in, in America? Good question. Uh, eight years now. Yeah, eight years. So this is home. This is this is where we've put our roots down. This is this is home. But hopefully, I'll never lose my English accent because it makes me apparently Pat makes me sound smarter than I am in America, and I always appreciate that. Oh, that's brilliant. So, what led you to being in New Jersey? So, actually, you know what? If eight years ago someone said to me, "Hey, you're going to live in America, and you need to pick a, a town and a state," there's no way I would have stuck a pin in where I am right now um, because my life was radically different um, back when when the decision was made to move to America. I was full swing Mr. Corporate America or Mr. Corporate UK at that point, working for a, a huge professional services firm, and always knew that you know, international mobility, living in another country, working in a different culture and business environment was a good thing. So um, my wife or girlfriend at the time and I decided to up sticks and move to New York City, where where we spent three years just having an amazing time, working incredibly hard, playing even harder, and actually built a life for ourselves. Um, and then and then decided when that we wanted to stay that it was time to kind of move to the suburbs and everyone if you live in New York City you either look you look north to somewhere like Westchester or you look east to somewhere on Long Island or you look west to find a nice town in New Jersey and and we went with option 3 and obviously there's no south there's well, you you can go south but you get wet <laughs> very wet fantastic <laughs> so west it was and you've now got two dogs living with you how exciting is that yeah, two cute doggos, um, Ashley and a baby on the way. So our family's about to get bigger. Well, that's fantastic news. Congratulations. So you had a plan, which was just to sort of head over there for your corporate work. What then happened? So we found that our quality of life was immeasurably better. And by the way, I don't think that is a comparison of a big city in America versus a big city in England. I think it was more the fact that when you up sticks and move, it is, whether you plan it or not, an opportunity to reinvent yourself. Um, and it's the little things. Like, it, it, this is really, really silly, but uh, we, we found a, a really inexpensive dry cleaning service who would wash and press my shirts every day for work for a ridiculous cost. And so I wasn't ironing on a Sunday night anymore in front of the TV. And it, it was just lots and lots of little things like that that added up to a much, much better quality of life. So we decided between us that this was the place to make home and that we were gonna reinforce the things that served us and we were going to continue to 
remove the things that didn't serve us. So we kind of just built our life again. And it just made it made sense to to stay here. And both of our careers were were climbing um, on a on a really encouraging and positive trajectory. So are you advocating that people need to travel thousands of miles to stop ironing on a Sunday evening? Maybe. <laughs> no, I think Jim, that's that's a wonderful question, actually. I think what I would advocate is to have the courage to assess your life regularly, assess the areas of your life. I don't know. It doesn't have to be anything necessarily something huge and scary like your intimate relationships. It could just be where you spend your time. I, I, I always describe it as in the UK. Again, I don't think it has anything to do with the UK versus the US. I think it was just the life I'd built. I, I take responsibility for all of it, the good, the bad, and everything in between. We had a slice of work, a slice of fun time, leisure time, play time, and then a slice of stuff in the middle that I called faff. It was just stuff that you kind of had to do and you felt like there was no way to avoid it. And you never really challenged whether it was necessary or someone could help you or you could just eliminate it. Coming to America, I, I worked more, considerably more, but all of the faff disappeared. So net net, I actually had more playtime, and it was it was the move itself. Like as I said, up sticks and move. It was that that forced the process of assessing. What, what do I really want to do this? Why I'd rather do that. You know, it, in a nice way, and I say this lightly, kind of made me a little bit more selfish. Not not in a in a horrid way, like I was getting something over someone else, but it made me kind of prioritize me and my own needs and desires a little bit more than before. And was this conscious or are you looking at all of these decisions with sort of hindsight? Both. Uh, there were definitely some things. I mean, living in Manhattan, the level of convenience at your fingertips is off the charts. Perhaps not right now, uh, given obviously the current environment in the world. Um but back when we were free to come and go as we please and it was safe to do so, the level of convenience was was just insane. A uh, 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 silly, silly story. There was one morning in particular, I was feeling a little bit tired. I was hungry. We were watching a bit of TV together, enjoying my morning coffee. And I suddenly had a craving for my favorite bagel. And it was from this place down the street. And, and they do these nice everything bagels and it had cream cheese and salmon on it. And I really wanted one. And... I didn't want to get up. I was in my PJs. I was having nice real R and R time with the missus. So I went onto an app on my phone. I ordered it. Within 15 minutes, it was on my lap. The doorman let the guy in. He brought it to the front door. I looked at my wife with puppy dog eyes. She went to the door, opened it, thanked the guy, brought it to me. Literally, I mean, within 15 minutes, it was in my lap. Now, Obviously, there's a risk that people can can become a bit complacent and a bit expectant with that kind of level of convenience. I was very grateful for it. But you can't help but design a lifestyle that works for you when there's that level of convenience. So that was the kind of unconscious part of it. But then the conscious part of it is looking back at it, analyzing why was our life why is our life so much better it's not america versus england what did we do and and then it's it, it's then continuing to consciously engineer those preferences. And how long did you stay in your corporate role? Um, so I stayed in that corporate role for close to seven years, six and a bit years. Um, yeah, in, in Manhattan and then in another office that was just outside the city. And it was actually it was actually that progression that 
career growth that triggered the the amazing and and unexpected change that happened about six years ago that that led me to where I am now and what what happened so I I had what I now refer to as a nervous breakdown for the record I don't particularly like that term I don't have a better term for it the reason I don't like it is because it means so many different things to different people so I'll I'll spell it out for you it was an, a complete meltdown. I collapsed in the stairwell of, of, of the office I was I happened to be in at the time. I was pretty much incapacitated and unable to communicate for about 24 hours. It was a, an extreme physiological response to prolonged psychological pain. Self-inflicted, I might add. Uh, it turns out that with the benefit of hindsight, I can articulate that my values and rules and, and what I thought was important in life were just horribly misguided um, and led to it being very, very easy for me to feel all of the feelings I don't want to feel and very, very difficult for me to feel all the feelings I do want to feel. And it triggered or sparked uh, an amazing journey of self-discovery and personal development that I I am still on and and we're just going faster and faster and higher and higher with every day that passes. Um, And that's what led me ultimately to leave my a successful corporate career behind me and move into helping people go through their version of that journey. And how do you warning signs before that complete body shutdown? Oh yeah, yeah, lots of warning signs. Um the the that's actually great. No one's asked me that before. Um and I've just realized that the reason why they were unhelpful warning signs was because they were all related to stress, tension, putting on body weight, et cetera, that for most, for the most part, people think is par for the course. You know, how many people do you, do you know, no offense, in the corporate world who think that you're know, staying late, getting in early, being stressed, getting cranky, overreacting to things is actually kind of cool. It's, it's a badge of honor because I have a really big, important job. That's why I'm so stressed. So though my body was telling me for, for months, if not years, that we had a problem. I just thought it meant I was this hotshot businessman climbing the ladder. So I ignored the signs um, until, until my body uh, did something that I couldn't ignore. <laughs> so your misalignment of values caused you to have this breakdown. What happened thereafter? Um, actually, there was a, a pivotal moment that happened during a a counseling session actually I was working with this lovely lovely sweet woman and she she got really mean all of a sudden because I I was struggling I was still kind of I would get short of breath and panicky whenever I I thought about anything about the future anything to do with the career and I, I remember just kind of almost frustrated with myself saying to her it's fine I just need to recover from this once I recover from this I'll be fine and she she just looked at me and she said recover what do you mean recover? And I kind of backed off and, and she said, this isn't something you just recover from. You need to make changes. You actually have to change or this will just happen again. And I remember it just hit me and I thought, oh, it's, it has nothing to do with what's going on around me and it has everything to do with what's going on inside of me. And as weird and hippy dippy woo woo as that sounds, I now get it. I, I now know that, that that is 
a secret that not many people know. And that is that how you feel in any given moment actually has nothing. I mean, nothing to do with what's going on around you. It's all to do with our thoughts about what's going on. And of course, we get to control that. So that was the point where I suddenly went inwards and thought, oh, we have some work to do. And, and that's what sparked me studying and learning and speaking to people who had the results I wanted in life, who had health and vitality, deep and meaningful relationships, successful careers, businesses they loved. They jumped out of bed in the morning. I was like, these people are doing something different to me. These people know something I don't know. When might now be a good time to try and find out what that is? And, and that's what sparked this, this kind of obsessive journey of study for me. And you say it's almost like a secret. I mean, obviously the information is there for people to, to work this way, but it's just not the way that we've been brought up. And you talk about the values and values for me is, is, a, is a crucial part of our everyday life. And yet so many people, if I ask them, what are your core values? They can't answer that question. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Can, can I share an example of what used to be the number one value for me and how my brain defined it? So to me, and, and people have different definitions, so if you don't mind, I'll share my definition. To me, a value or a virtue is, is actually an emotional state that's important, that, we've, that we predetermine for ourselves is important for us to feel a lot of the time or not to feel. Uh, for example, embarrassment or shame is a value, and I don't know about you, but I don't like the feeling of either of those. So those are what I would call a, a value that I would move away from, as opposed to success, uh, vitality, passion, connectedness, all those wonderful values that you want to move towards. You want to feel those. Well, unsurprisingly, Mr. Corporate America, there's lots of us, there's lots of Miss Corporate Americas too. Our number one for me was success. And everyone defines success differently. But what I discovered was not only do we all have a different definition of success, but there's actually programming in our brain running in the background that are rules where certain things have to happen, maybe in a certain order, maybe at the same time or different order in order for your brain to say, Devon, you're successful. So I'm going to share with you what my old values were for success, for success, my, sorry, my old rules. They were that I had to be number one. I don't even know what that means, but it was in there as a program file. I had to be the best at whatever it was I was doing. Equally dumb. I had to be, this one's really good. I had to be publicly recognized for what it, whatever it was I was doing. And the fourth one, which is my ultimate favorite is to be successful. Get this. I had to make more money than anyone else I knew. Now, not more than anyone on the planet, thankfully, because that's clearly not possible, but more than anyone I knew. And I actually, looking back at it, I remember when people would come into my friend group, you know, I don't know, some guy who you meet at a party and he's a lawyer or um, she's a, a surgeon. My brain, I didn't realize it at the time, my brain went, uh-oh, that person almost certainly makes more than me. I'm not good enough. I need to do more. So based on those rules, let's just pretend I'm a computer chip. Based on those rules, do you think I ever felt successful? No, of course not. Just absolutely not. So that's what I mean by the by the programming that was off or, or by the self-inflicted pain is I had programmed myself to think that that's what needed to happen. All right. My, my value in this world was shaped by my career trajectory. The last time I got a promotion, how much money I made and how much praise I got from my colleagues, family and friends. 
does that sound like a sustainable strategy to feel a sense of happiness and fulfillment in life? Not in the slightest. Is it any wonder if that was front and center for me, why what happened happened? And why do you think you're operating like that? Where did that come from? Is that learnt behavior? Oh, what an amazing question. Uh, so there's two pieces to it um, from my perspective. One is, let's take a look at society at large right now. Everyone, uh, that's not fair. I'm going to I'm going to retract everyone. I'm going to say a lot of people unfortunately are fueled by the desire for a feeling of importance. Agreed? These days to feel important all you have to do is send a mean tweet and you get a sense of importance. You it's easier these days to knock people down to feel big than it is to build ourselves up. Couple that with the instant gratification age. I even talked about it, right? With the with the um the what's it called the, what did i have the the smoked salmon cream cheese the uh mm, the, bagel, the bagel right I, I wanted it now i wasn't willing to wait right that coupled with all these outlets where we can actually easily bring people down in order to build ourselves up we are a lot of us fueled by a desire for a feeling of importance and if if that is your number one driving force in your behaviors and your actions and your patterns of thinking then all you all you do is you look for ways to measure that and money is an obvious one, right? So if you make more money than everyone else, suddenly now you're important. So it, it's not a surprise to me that a lot of us, especially those in the kind of organized corporate environment, are, are built that way. The second piece of it, I believe, is, is far more fundamental. Um, and it's, it's rooted in, in fear and conditioning. Uh, this is a bit of a longer answer. So we are all born pre-programmed with two fears. They're called the primal fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. I don't know about you, but that makes sense to me, right? It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. If I hear a loud crash, it gets my attention. So that, that, that makes sense to me. However, those are not the fears that play out in our lives. We don't find ourselves walking around our local neighborhood with a mask on <laughs> and, and being afraid by the sound of a, a car backfiring or suddenly feeling like we're falling off the sidewalk. That, 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 that doesn't play out in our lives. What plays out are what I call the fundamental fears. And these are, these are conditioned into us. One is, I am not enough. And two is, if I'm not enough, I won't be loved. And we are desperately all the time trying to find ways to feel good enough, big enough, brave enough and, and to get reverence and, and love and respect from people around us in order to fill that void. And last piece of the puzzle, I think, I think it simply comes from growing up through society. Look at it this way. A baby is just the most uh, amazing thing. This, this, this child has, has come from this woman, has, has grown without any instructions, this life, this just sacred wonderment is here. And, and you can't not be in utter awe when you're around a newborn baby, welcome to the world. But really, babies kind of vomit, they poo a lot, and they're all, they all look the same, right? And yet there's this reverence, isn't there? Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time someone looked at you with that reverence? So the question is, when did that run out? 
When did that stop? And the answer is in your formative years. And unconsciously as a kid, I don't know, two, three, four, five, six, somewhere along there, you are desperately trying to act and behave in a way to get to get that back. Like, well, what's wrong with me? There's something, there's something missing. The reverence has got, I'm not good enough anymore. I got to do this, which is why, of course, we're shaped powerfully by the love we crave the most as a child, whether it's our mother or father or, or someone else in our life. So that for me is where that fundamental fear comes from, is we're constantly trying to act and behave in a way to get people to love us and go full circle, put someone like that where fundamentally at the heart, they feel like they're not good enough, which is most of us, put them in a thriving corporate environment and you're going to end up programming yourself with some pretty pretty unhelpful rules. So once you dropped your sort of societal values and created your own new beliefs and your own new rules, what then? Well, a great question. Um, and I would say it is surprisingly easy, maybe not easy, straightforward to change your rules. It really is. Um, and it, I, I would say it wasn't so much me completely casting off um, what I I currently was what, what I was programmed with at the time, it was more of a realization that there was more to seek, if that makes sense. So the what next was continuing to explore what really mattered. And that sounds cheesy. I think you know what I mean. Continuing to explore what really mattered. And then that that kind of set a fire going inside of me, uh, a, a sense of there was something I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I will say it was really uncomfortable because I didn't understand it. it. It didn't make sense to me. It wasn't clear what that was. And And by the way, who am I? to think that there's something I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's, it sounds profoundly arrogant to say that about yourself, though now I would say it's absolutely true. And, it, and I believe it to be true for all of us. I think we all have a unique set of skills and abilities and it's our responsibility to find a way to deliver those to humanity through the form of service. I, I am convinced that that is the point. So I don't now think it's supremely arrogant, but I certainly did at the time. So, so the next step was to figure out what, what was this burning desire? Uh, why was it there? What did it mean? And what was I supposed to do with it? And what were the answers to those three questions? Well, it, it brings us to the why, actually, qu quite beautifully. I, to me, a sense, living with a sense of purpose is incredibly powerful. Um, I don't mean living your purpose. I mean, living with purpose. I don't think we all have one purpose. I think it changes moment to moment, depending on what we're doing. I also think it, the, 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 the kind of overarching story of our life changes over time. Um, so I think it's about living with purpose, living with a sense of purpose, meaning knowing why you're doing whatever it is you're doing at a macro level and a micro level. So sat there, in feeling these, this sense of, oh, there's something I'm supposed to be doing, there's a direction I'm supposed to be going in. I don't think that waking up cranky on a Monday morning, only ever being happy on a Friday night on my way home from work and looking forward to two or three vacations a year, I just, that didn't make sense to me anymore. Like, really? This is it? This is what I was made for? Like, it, it didn't make sense. So I started to ask why? 
Um, and, and actually, I, I, I will I'll never forget when I when I got the, the answer. Um, I, I thought, because I'm a logical guy, I would apply stuff I'd learned in the corporate world, right? Those, any of your listeners or you who have ex experience in the corporate world will have probably heard of something called a root cause analysis. You know, someone makes a mistake um, in their role, something goes wrong, you ask why, the first answer you get back is not the real reason, right? You've got to keep asking why until you get to the root of the problem. We all, I think, understand the, the, the power of doing that. So I thought, well, I'll do that on me. Why not? I'll, I'll ask myself. So Devon, and I did this in a car. I was just, I was driving to, to work at the time. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it while driving. Um, I said, why is it so important for you to be successful and to make an impact in the world of personal development? Like, why is that such, why is that so important to you? And I sat there for a moment and, and I, I said to myself, well, honestly, it, it kind of fits. It sort of makes sense. People have often said you're a people person, whatever that means, right? I don't really know what that means. So yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. And you'll notice that when you do this kind of root cause analysis on yourself, the first few answers are very much from the head, right? And the idea is if you keep going, you, you get the answer from the heart. So I, I thought, all right, let's keep going. So Devon, why, why is it so important for you to to stay in keeping with this skill set of being a so-called people person. And the answer that came back was, well, I think personal development makes sense. And I think that is what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. So Devon, why is it so important for you to do what you think you're supposed to be doing? You can feel it start to soften slightly. And I said, well, I was like, I want to do something meaningful with my life, right? You can feel it's now starting to shift. And so I kept going because that's not, that's clearly not it. And I said, what, well, then why is it so important for you to do something meaningful with your life? And I started to feel a little bit emotional at this point. And I said, well, because we only get one life in which to become everything we can. Oh, and I felt the weight of that. And then I said to myself, okay, well, why is it so important for you to, to become everything you can be? And I was not expecting the following answer. What came out was because I want to honor my maker. Then I thought, well, there's, there's definitely more to go here. Uh, why is it so important for you to honor your maker? And I, I felt very emotional at this point. It was welling up a little bit. And I said, because because I want to feel loved and connected. I, I've always had this deep need to connect with people. And then I thought, for good measure, let's go one more. Why is it so important for you to feel loved and connected? Why is it so important for you to connect with other people? And I will never forget this. The word alone, just it just rang out in my ears. I just heard this word alone in my head. And then I don't mind admitting, I started crying uncontrollably thankfully i was alone in the car so no one could point and laugh and and the following answer came out and this is my why because at times in my life i felt so lost and alone i can't bear for another human being to feel the same way so when someone says why is it important for you to be 
successful and impactful in the personal development world. It's nothing to do with practicalities and being a people person. It's because I felt so lost and alone. I can't bear for others to feel that way. So it took you nine whys to get there. Something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the ones that you just shared just said, there might've been some in between, but I just, I was just counting as we were going along and yeah, absolutely. Just keep on asking. Because as you say, the superficial first answer is is a, a societal sort of response. Yeah. You know, it's a superficial conscious level response, as you say. And then when you start to dig deep and actually get to the root of it, it mm. is a very personal reason. And that's what drives you. So, yes, there are different multiple whys in life and, you know, why the whys that come in layers. But essentially, the core of everything you're doing is because of not wanting other people to feel how you felt at one point in time. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. I mean, I would say it even stacks up with the values and rules we discuss because my number one value now, and honestly, I think it always was, I just was so obsessed with trying to become successful. Well, I was successful. I just could never meet my own definition. My number one value, um, and this is my oxygen, is what I define as connectedness. And I define it now. My rules are incredibly easy. Um, They are a kind exchange of words with someone. They are making eye contact with someone. They are any kind of physical touch. And it can be an elbow shake or a fist pump. doesn't have to be a hug or anything more intimate. And if I'm present with someone, any of those, doesn't have to be all of them, doesn't even have to be more than one. If if I get any of those, it could be a, a sales professional. I was on the phone with with the sales associate earlier on from a from a, a company I, 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 I buy from. And I paused for a moment and asked this lady how she was. And she asked me, I felt connectedness with this other human. And it's easy for me to feel that way. And the best way I can define connectedness without explaining it like that is, for me, it's the opposite of alone. That's it. So it makes sense, doesn't it? That what I'm desperately trying to rid the world of is this sense of being lost and alone. And actually it's because what I want to feel most is the opposite of that. So it ties in perfectly. And you use the word connectedness and that's a word that I associate with the Clifton strengths. I don't know if that's something. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. So connectedness is also my, it's actually my fifth strength or in the top five, you know. Interesting. So I, I totally get it. And I understand where you're coming from. The other, and I think this is something that's really important, is to understand your strengths in life and not take them for granted because they keep showing up. And yet often you don't see them. Times it takes someone else to, to share that with you or it takes a, an online quiz or it takes you know a process to go through to really drill down and as you've done with the root cause drill down to to finding out who you really are because what if your body had allowed you to carry on what if it hadn't have taken that drastic action that time where would you be a great question I mean I suppose probably a little bit further down the line I would have either had uh, an episode like it only worse um, which could have resulted in physical harm could have resulted in, I don't know, financial ruin, could have could have made some terrible epic error in, in my role, who knows? Or, or if my body had continued to deal with it, 
Um, I think I would, well, I, I know I would still be at the same organization. I know I would be, uh, there's a, a leadership position I know I would be in. And I think I would just be a mean man. I think I would only be happy on Friday nights. I think I'd be, I'd be mean and, and cranky at home. I think I would take it out unknowingly and, and unintentionally on those closest to me. And I think I would be living a lie. And there's probably some people out there who are listening to this episode saying, thinking, oh my God, that's what I do. I wonder if that's why. Mm. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's just the way that I'm allowing myself to live right now. And again, it comes back down mm. to choice and decisions. So you made that choice. And actually you were kicked up the arse firmly by your therapist at the time by saying that it wasn't an option just to recover, that you had to, to choose different lifestyle mm. yeah I, I hear you and, and I would be willing to bet there some of your amazing listeners do feel that way so I would I would love to say that my objective here for people I work with especially those in a corporate job is not to encourage them to quit and go start their own organization that's that's not it I think organizations are wonderful i think they have the resources and the manpower to solve some important problems the company i used to work for for many years is a wonderful organization just wasn't for me so i would also say the last two years that i was employed i was deliriously happy with what i was doing i was never more effective i worked less hours and i was an emotional ninja so that was important for me and i only left when i knew where i wanted to go i didn't leave in response to what i didn't want that sounds like a small shift but that was critical so my advice to people would never be oh just run away just leave i, I don't maybe you have to that that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is you can reprogram rewire reshape who you are as an individual and become even more effective in your job. I, I was told by one of my coaches at the time, I remember her saying to me, and we still work together today, five, six years later, amazing human being. She said to me, you can leave your job as soon as you love it again. And I wanted to throw something at her, but she was 100% right. She was 100% right. And I remember the day it happened. I, it, it was it didn't make sense to me to move away from something I didn't want. It made sense to move towards something I did want. And I was waiting and preparing myself for when that moment came and it did eventually come. So people who are suffering and struggling right now, I just want them to know that it's not your present situation or circumstances. It's, it's your programming and what you focus on. And, and and we can shift those and change those quickly and easily. You don't need to leave your job to magically be happy. We just need to do some inner work. And it's tough and it hurts and it's 100% worth it. And your realisation of exploring what really mattered has set that fire, as you say, in you know inside you. You can even now, it's sort of like a, a constant burning. How does that feel to know that you're in a job that you are 100% in alignment with? It's amazing. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the excited, lovely answer, and then I'm going to give the kind of slightly delicate truth beneath it as well. I honestly, I'm about to say this. This is you. People are probably going to want to slap me. This is 100% true. 
if I won the lottery tomorrow, I don't play the lottery because I don't particularly want to win it. I want to create wealth for, my, for myself and give it away. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't do anything different. I wouldn't. Or if I'd won it last night, I promise you, I would still have been here today to meet with you. It is not, uh, it's just not about the money. Yes, we need to make money because groceries cost money. You can't just go into your local grocery store and leave with what you want. They tend to arrest you for that, right? We, I, get, I get it. Money is a mean, means of exchange. It's, that's not my currency anymore. My currency is whether I'm moving towards the man I know I am at my core and whether I am helping others because I believe that this life is not about us. It's about the lives of those we touch. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. So how does it feel to be doing something I love? It feels like I would do this anyway. That retirement is no longer a concept for me. I, why would I retire from this? I don't go to work anymore. I do stuff. I don't always want to do the things I have to do. I still get scared. I still get concerned. But I don't go to work anymore. I do something I love. Like, there, there, there isn't anything I've experienced that's as amazing as that. What a gift. So that, that's the, the amazing wow part of it, which I, I stand by, it's the truth. The other part is it's hard, like seriously hard, way harder in different areas than what I thought. Right now in my life, I have never had more uncertainty, more issues, more challenges, more things to deal with and more unknowns than ever before. And I've never felt more alive. I couldn't I couldn't describe it any better you're certainly in that sort of scenario where there's nowhere to hide because you know the buck stops at you in terms of you are in control of your diary you're in control of what is going to happen with your marketing you're in control of everything that you do the people that you reach out to the people you speak to every day and and you know you take a day off then nothing really happens you know that that's that's a scenario but again you're in alignment with your values of, of being free to do that and being free to take the direction that you want to go in and help the people that you want to help. So, you know, the, the benefits are huge, but yes, I agree. Running your own business is, is hard for everyone. And I think it was great advice that you gave earlier that a lot of people think they need to jump ship if things aren't right. Actually, that's not the scenario. And, you know, there is ways of, finding out or finding alignment with the work that you're doing and seeing where you can be valued more and you can find value in your work without having to sort of say, right, I need another job. Uh, and speaking to your employer about how that works is probably the first step instead of just saying, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. So what's yeah. next on the horizon for you, Devon? Ah, love that question. So um, we actually just started doing virtual events. Um, we we did have plans to do in-person stuff, which uh, obviously we've pivoted and changed. So we are doing a lot more in the event space. I mean, I, I absolutely love working with, with people individually or in group coaching. Um, that is the bread and butter and that is how I learn and grow honestly um so there'll be more and more and more of that as I make my schedule more and more available to to work with my clients one-on-one -on -one or in groups um and then I'm doing a lot more event stuff that that's that's what honestly I love the most um and where that came from actually is um another burning desire I said actually you know what until you asked that question I hadn't thought about this this is you've just given me a gift thank you for that I, I'm obsessed with the idea of running events. And 
I realized it's not because it's more people and they therefore they may sign up to other stuff. It's not because I want to be on stage being a showman, although that feels quite good. It, it's not that. It's because the greatest moments of growth and just immense positive emotions I've ever experienced have been at events immersion experiences where I've accessed emotional states either I didn't even know I had or or haven't for the longest time and I've realized that the greatest gift I could give someone is access to those same emotions and the way I believe to do that is through an event so that's what's next is is more and more events more and more speaking engagements getting in front of people um more and more to help them well, you actually described yourself as an emotion ninja earlier. What did you mean by that? Oh, emotional. <laughs> yeah, emotional ninja. That's actually, that came from, um, we have an online course that we put together, um, which is basically the best of everything I've come to know condensed into bite-sized pieces. Um, and it's called Secrets of the Emotional Ninja. And And what I mean by that is not being pushed and pulled around by your thoughts, meaning you have a sense of emotional freedom. You have the consciousness and the power to determine what's going on and how you feel about it, as opposed to being at the mercy of the life around you. I describe it as being the director of your life rather than the manager of your circumstances. Yeah, most of us manage what's going on around us, whereas only some of us have have the 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 gift of being able to direct our lives. So that to me is what an emotional ninja is, is where you are able to be calm and measured no matter what's going on around you. You know, putting, putting a little bit of distance between you and the events and being able to respond wisely rather than react blindly. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I sort of determine those two sort of different scenarios, between, the difference between existing and living. So again, yeah. you know, living with control or just existing and just sort of rolling with the punches. So yeah, fantastic. Devon, it's been really great having you on the show and thank you so much. This is actually your second time because you did sneak in to the hundredth episode. So well done on that one as well. I did. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And thank, thank you for reaching out and just saying that you're a fan of the show, you know, and that, that's how this all this whole conversation started. So appreciative of that. No, well, thank you for having me. And I just want to say a big thanks to you as well. And, and to say, you know, congratulations on the success of the podcast. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I think it's brave. I think it's difficult. And it's not often that others in the industry pat each other on the back. So I, I just want to say I honor you for what you're doing and, and very much appreciate your good work. Oh, thank you. It means a huge amount. So yeah, it makes it all the worthwhile, all the effort that I put into the podcast. So how would people get in contact with you, Devon? Um, honestly, the best way to get me is through is through my website, shapingreality.com. There's all you can contact me. There's all kinds of resources on there that you can download. There's um, copies of books, um, online courses, coaching, etc. That would be the place to go to to find out about what we do as an organization, um, and then hopefully. Hopefully I get to, to meet and work with some of your listeners one day at one of our events. That sounds amazing. So thank you again one more time. Have you got any final words for the audience, please? Yeah, you know what? Actually, it's, it's some advice I've given myself recently. And that is, we have more time than we think we do. I think a lot of us are in s- such a hurry to get to where we think we should be or get to even where we want to be. And I think we have more time than we think we do. 
and I think rushing it means we forget to enjoy the journey. We forget to enjoy the process. I think life is way more, way less about what you create, what you do, and way more about who you become in the process. And you know what? It pains me to say it, but sometimes that just takes time. Um, so I think I think I would tell us all, myself included, take a breath, smile, take a step forward, and and just trust the process. You have more time than you think you do. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.